All right. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Perusia podcast. And we are live now with none other than the basically the brains behind and the, the man who created the Footprints of God series, Steve Ray. And uh, he is live with me. Hello, Steve. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Can you, do you recognize this hat? I don't know. You guys got me this hat when I was. That's right. Yes. And <laughs> a Kubra hat. I think That's it's right. made out of kangaroo hide, isn't it? That's right. I think I remember that. Yeah, it was a, it was a kangaroo. <laughs> uh, well done. Oh, that's it. You're still an Aussie. Uh, not, we've uh, we've claimed you as our own. Yep, I still have it. So yeah. uh, <laughs> that was uh, ten years. Today. I'm only going to wear it for a minute here, though. It's hot, and I'm just going to go okay. without it today. That's so funny. there's not it's, uh, too much glare, is there? I'm okay. No, no, that's all good. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> okay. I can have my wife powder me down here if I need to. All right. <laughs> no problem. No problem. We're very familiar with. Um, who our guest today is. Now, um, Steve Ray was a convert from the Baptist Church, but now since has been an a active apostle for, for the church and been defending the church in, in such a, an amazing way, he travels to the Holy Land over six, well, goes, well, six times a year, if not more, currently out of the Holy Land for a while, but hope to get him back there soon. But um, uh, we're going to talk about this series, the Footprints of God series, and I'm holding in my hand this is Abraham. I'm going to start from here, but although it may not have been the first one released in that series, it is the first one chronologically in the series. So we're going to go through salvation history. Our goal is to go over the next six months, um, once a month, uh, where we can fit it, leading up to hopefully our pilgrimage next year. God willing, it is all going to run smoothly. In March next year, uh, we are planning for a pilgrimage with Steve Ray, bringing Aussies together and Americans, um, and I can't wait for that. And we're going to be leading through this virtually. So um, we're going to go through salvation history and talk about it. Now, there is a deal. Uh, this show, we're giving 20% off this DVD and any other DVD in the range. There's over 10. There's nine of them. Um, and the, the code, we're going to put it in the bottom. But if my guardian angel here is going to type this in, it is all um, capital letters PP for Perusia Podcast, SR for Steve Ray, and FOG for Footprints of God. If you put that code in, you're going to get 20% off PPSRFOG um, and do that. Um, by the end of the show, you will see this available. Um, another little thing is the Lighthouse um, Lighthouse Talks have also released the audio CD of this. Um, Abraham, a great talk, and we're going to dive into this. So, Steve, are you ready for this virtual Bible study? I'm ready. <laughs> also, in, in that movie, uh, if you buy the movie, Inside is a study guide, a complete study guide on Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I don't think there's anything else like this anywhere, the study guide, where you can really study all of the biblical aspects of the beginnings of Genesis. That's right. It's, it's excellent, by the way, and, and that's in every single one of those DVDs in, in the series. So you, you were busy. <laughs> and I and my 500-page uh, book on Genesis is right now at Ignatius Press being edited. Oh, so fantastic. hopefully uh, sometime early next year, I'll have my new book out on a commentary on the book of Genesis. It's about 500 pages. Wow. Oh, praise God. That's if you brilliant. don't understand the book of Genesis and Abraham, you don't understand anything. That's everything begins there. Yes. Yes. Um, and that's where we're going to be in today. Are you ready <laughs> to yep, dive in? Ready. Shall we start? Um, how do you start this interesting, not with Abraham, but you go right to the beginning of creation. So can we um, talk about that? Um, how did you begin this DVD series? And, uh, and let's talk about the start. <laughs> My wife likes to tell this story because I scared her half to death when I got the idea. 
Um, in the year 2000, which was the year of grace, John Paul II made it the year of grace. I woke up, I don't know when, it was probably in uh, the middle of the summer sometime. I woke up in the middle of the night at two o'clock in the morning. I was sound asleep, pitch dark, and I jumped out awake and I said, Janet, Janet, quick. That's my wife, Janet. Wake up. We have to do a 10-part video series in this in the footprints of God. It has to be all about the Catholic story of salvation, the whole Bible from Abraham to Augustine. And I shook her awake and I scared her half to death. And she said, you, what? Where we? There's a house on fire. I said, no, the, I, we have to make a video series. And she says, you're crazy. She says, she's now getting awake, woke up a little bit. She says, we can't even take good pictures. How does God expect us to make movies? Go back to sleep. You're crazy. So she rolled over and went back to sleep. But I got up that night and I, I was like on fire. My fingers were on fire and I'm sitting at my computer right now, but I sat here I got up at like two in the morning and I typed out the whole outline for this thing. It was all in my head. I don't know whether it was an angel, a revelation, a vision, or just indigestion. I don't know what it was, but I typed out the whole outline for this thing. And I knew it had to be all the way from the beginning with all the key personalities, Abraham, Moses, David, Solomon, Elijah, Elisha, Mary, Jesus, Peter, Paul, apostolic fathers. And it all was in my mind. Had to be called Footprints of God because God came down and got his feet dirty, footprints on our planet. Oh, wow. And it had to be all apologetics, defending the faith. It had to be a travel log so people could see these places really existed. And it had to be more than anything else, a rollicking fun. Everybody, I think, has seen the Crocodile Hunter or Indiana Jones. It had to be exciting where we'd wrestle with snakes and fall in the mud, ride horses, climb trees, all pour oil on our head, all these kind of things. And so um, I wrote to Father Fessio. I had th- a couple books with Ignatius Press by now. I said, I've got an idea. I want to tell you about it. He says, fly out to San Francisco. We'll have a board meeting. You could tell us your idea. I flew out. They had a bottle of red wine on one end of the table and white wine on the other end. I waited till both bottles were empty before I told <laughs> my idea. I wanted to get the best advantage I could. Well, Father Fessio, after listening to it, he said, has it ever been done before, something like this? I said, never been done before. I said, I don't think it now. Jewish, Catholic, Protestant, secular, never been done before. This kind of a scope on location. He said, how much would it cost? I said, I have no idea. I've never done video before. I don't know anything about video. <laughs> I have no idea. But my friend tells me here, I had a friend with me. I said, it'll be over $2 million. He, he sat there for a minute, looked at everybody else at the board of me. He says, how soon can you get started? I said, I can get started in six weeks. I own my own business. I have good managers. I can start anytime I want. He said, I'm wiring $50,000 into your checking account before you get home. I want you to get started right away. Six weeks later, wow. my wife and I were flying all over Israel in helicopters with air to get all. I knew exactly what I needed to get. It was amazing. But I knew all the aerial footage I wanted. So when you watch these movies, there's all this beautiful aerial footage. Before I take you into Nazareth, we fly over Nazareth. Before I take you to Bethlehem, we fly over Bethlehem. So um, in six weeks, we were flying all over Israel, Turkey, Egypt, Greece, Italy, getting all the aerial footage. And six weeks later, we went back and did our Peter movie, which is the only one I knew the best at the time. So we okay. did Peter first. We did Mary second, Jesus and Moses. Then we did, and I couldn't, I had to wait on Abraham um, Charbel because of the war with, you know, the whole war going on. Yes, yes. Bush attacked, uh, so you, you couldn't go then. But uh, everybody says, well, just 
put in pictures and make people think you're in Iraq. And I said, I don't do that. That's not authentic. So when you watch this movie, all of the video footage of Iraq is mine. We actually went there with my film crew right when ISIS was attacking. They had just taken Fallujah the week that we were there. So ISIS was in the north coming down. We were in the south filming and we were there for a week and then we went home. So it was quite an exciting thing. But we have filmed this now in 13 countries, all the biblical countries. I have a goal of visiting every biblical site, every site the Bible mentions in my lifetime. And I think I've fit, I've at least been to 95% of them at this point. Wow, That's how wow. the video series got started. It's been 20 years now and we only have one more to go. Doctors of the Church will be our last one, but I'm, uh, we're probably, we're going to do it next year, but because of this whole hysteria over the virus thing, um, I postponed it because I don't think we'll be able to go to North Africa and all the places we need to finish Doctors of the Church. So oh, yes. that's the, that's the short story of how that all began. The series. Am I, am I going to test you and, and uh, can you, can you name them in order the way you've done them in chronological order? So the, Abraham the, the, is first. Oh, yeah, Abraham, Abraham is first. Then Moses. So Moses. Abraham is the whole book of Genesis. Yes. Abraham is Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then okay. we do uh, the uh, David and Solomon. That covers all of Joshua, Judges, Ruth, into the first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, first and second uh, Kings, first and second Samuel, first and second Chronicles. Okay, all those. Then we do Elijah and Elisha, because Elijah is the is the father of the prophets, and that covers a thousand years. We start with a timeline. So okay. all these will start with timelines so people can see them. That covers all of the prophets up to John the Baptist. He's the last of the Old Testament prophets and the first of the New Testament prophets. You know, there's yes. two people that stand in between the Old and the New Testament. That's John the Baptist and Mary. Yes. They're neither Old Testament nor New Testament. They're in the middle. They're both. Then we do Mary. She brings and her that title of that one is Mother of God. Then Jesus, the Word became flesh. Then we do Peter, keeper of the keys. Then we take Paul, who takes us all the way through the rest of the Bible. He wrote half the books of the New Testament. Paul, contending the faith, apostolic fathers, handing on the faith, doctors of the church, defining the faith. And when I get all 10 of those done, I got one more to go. I can die and be happy. <laughs> I got that's right. Well, we'll pray for the project to be complete. Um, I my, I love this. This is not just for adults, by the way. Kids, our kids are watching this at home. Um, they love this, and uh, they just love uh, the way you get in there. You get dirty. You're riding camels. You're riding. You're riding all sorts of I things. I wrestle awesome. snakes. <laughs> yeah. And you it's know, in one phenomenal. scene in Moses, we where where Moses is in Egypt, and he throws down his rod, and he picks up a snake. Remember that? Yes. Yes. Well, I have to do everything real. So we had a fifteen fit bow constrictor in uh, outside in the Sinai desert. And um, we, but the, every time the snake was there, but he kept going away. He, I, you know, he wouldn't wait for me to pick him up. He would get it. So I had my eight-year-old daughter, Emily with me. Emily wasn't afraid at all. Emily sat on that snake and she held him by the head like this. And she just was like on a horse with that snake and she wouldn't let him move. So I said, hold him down, Emily, hold him down. And then right when I get to Ned Abraham, I mean, Moses threw down his staff and he picked up a snake. She hands him to me and I pick up this big 15 foot bowl constrictor. So we had a lot of fun and my kids were involved in it. And uh, also we did 
the real poisonous vipers in, in uh, the Sinai, the ones that, that would bite you. They'd said, if this thing bites you, you're dead in seconds. So I wow. said, I want to get some of them. I want to get where they are. So they were all on the ground. And I had my filming crew film me standing with all of those vipers zipping around. But, you know, all of the things we do in the movies are real, filmed all the way from Iraq and Syria. We were in Damascus. I came down the wall of Damascus in a basket. Yes. Uh, everything is authentic. Nothing has ever been done like this before. Yeah. Wow. 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 God bless you. It's amazing. Well, <laughs> well, let's dive in. Um, okay. Abraham. Let, so who is Abraham and what is and, you know, his forefathers? What's his connection to the earlier figures like in Salvation Issue, Adam and Noah? And, and, and tell us how you begin this whole DVD. Well, the whole DVD begins with it black. Okay. And all of a sudden you see me standing there. And I say, before the beginning, there was God. And then stars start spinning around me. And, in the, and before the beginning, there was God. And God created the heavens and the earth. And then I talk about how he created Adam and Eve in the garden. We move very quickly through that and said that men sinned and Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. And then sin continued to propagate around the earth as man expanded. And then God chose Noah and he built an ark. And I talk about that, how, and you know, that represents water baptism. It says that Moses, uh, Noah went through the waters. He was saved through the water and the dove was over top. And we read in First Peter chapter three verse twenty one that as Noah was saved through the water, so we water baptism saves us. That's beautiful. And then we move from there to the Tower of Babel. Now this is getting into the life of Abraham because in Babel it was called a ziggurat. It was a I should have gotten a picture of that for you anyway, but it's a ziggurat. It's like a stepped pyramid all the way up. Mm -hmm. It's very high. And they keep bringing it higher and higher because in that land of Iraq, when we were there, I didn't realize this at the time, but it's totally flat. You can just see for miles. There's no hills. And the people of the ancient times, they wanted to get up high. Even Jesus went up on mountains to pray. People, the ancient peoples wanted to get away from the world and the noise and the chaos of civilization and go up high on places where it's quiet and it seems like they're closer to the heavens. And so the people of Babel were building this thing. And finally, God says, you know, if we let them go, they'll be able to do anything. And so he changed their languages and they all split off into different parts of the world. By the way, I think that today God's looking down and saying, wait a minute, with all the computer technology and all of this, they're also trying to become gods. They're trying mm. to take over the civilization and we better stop them. And I think that uh, we're probably not too far from the end times, although people have been saying that for 2000 years. But uh, yeah. the things that are going on today, I have to think are are pushing us pretty close to the time where God said, OK, enough is enough. He did that with a flood. He said, enough is enough. And he did That's it at right. the Tower of Babel. And he promises he's going to do it again. He's going to come back again and fix it all. But I got to believe it's not too far away. Isn't it interesting on the, that point, um, that, that time of Babel, uh, we, they spoke different languages at the end of that. Um, yeah. I feel the same. I feel like today we're speaking a different language. We might be speaking English, but but words mean different things for different people. The, the word truth, the word marriage, the word racism the word you know what what's safe now i mean the the these words mean very different things today um it's quite Under the, quite interesting I, I agree completely and in the soviet union their news media was called pravda 
which meant um, truth. And yet there yes. was nothing more propaganda and not truth than that news organization. And today you have people in the United States, especially in the inner cities, they're yelling at each other, but they don't, they're not hearing each other. There's totally no. different languages spoken. Babel. <laughs> God, by the way, in Pentecost is the reversal of Babel. God wanted to start something new where all of a sudden all these different countries all understood the same language. Yes. It was a reversal of the Tower of Babel. But we didn't, uh, some of us have run with it, but too many of the secular world and, and they have rejected God and all of this. So we get to the point where now God looks down after the flood, everybody's back to uh, being sinful. The Tower of Babel, he has to spread these nations all over. And then there comes a time in a land of what's Iraq today. It's been called Babylon. It's been called the Chaldeans and so on. You, and then all of a sudden there's guys like this, all right? This is this is one of the gods of the uh, where Abraham lived. This okay. is one of the gods that they worship, Nana, the god of the moon. And they had all these, and I did, by the way, have a priest, you know, sprinkle this with holy water. It's just a <laughs> replica, you know. But, um, and a, he looks for a man that he can start all over with. He wants to start a covenant. He's, he's. I think the way God's thinking is I want to start with a man and build a people and then send my son down as one of those people. And they'll recognize him because during this time, I'm going to send prophets. I'm going to explain who he is and what he's going to do so that when he finally comes in the fullness of time, Galatians four, chapter four says in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son born of a woman. He was waiting till the right time. But in the meantime, he's got this whole series of, of progression with his people called Israel that he could prepare for this so that when the, his son comes, that they would recognize him. And then they would bring those people of, that he had chosen, could incorporate the Gentiles too, all the rest of the world. They could all be one people in a big happy church and we could all be one family. So this was his plan. And he's working the plan, even though a lot of people don't follow it. Yes. So he, he looks for a man and he finds this guy named Abram. We call him Abraham today, but originally his name was Abram. And he lived in Ur of the Chaldees, which is south of Iraq today, where the Tigris and Euphrates begin. He was not an Israelite. He was not a Jew. He was not a Christian. He was a Hebrew. Where we get that mm -hmm. name is one of his ancestors between Abraham and a between Noah and Abram was a man named Eber. And he gave his descendants were called Hebrews, those from the tribe of Eber. So Abraham was not a Israelite because his great his grandson became was given the name Israel. That's where that came from. He was not a Jew because it was his great grandson, Judah, who became a Jew. The word Jew comes from Judah. And he certainly wasn't a Christian yet because that wasn't <laughs> going to happen for another 2,000 years. So we have Abram. His name means father. That was a very cruel name. That was a horrible name because he's 75 years old and he still doesn't have any kids. So you introduce yourself <laughs> and right. say, what's your name? My name is Abram. Well, where's your kids? Well, <laughs> I don't have any. Well, what a stupid name to have if you don't have any kids, you know. But he's 75 years old. He is a worshiper of pagan deities. He mm -hmm. worships the foreign gods. His land worshiped a god called Nana, the god of the moon. 
And in the book of Joshua, when Joshua finally takes over the land, he says, your fathers, Abraham's forefathers, they worshiped and served other gods. So we think of Abraham as always being a Christian or a Jew, but he That's was right. not for the first 75 years. I'm 65 years old. I'm getting old, Charbel. You better get me down there soon because I'm right. getting old. I'm going to be around a whole lot longer. My dad lived to be 94. My mom is now 99. So maybe I'll live a while longer. All right. We've got, we've but, got 30 years or so. <laughs> <laughs> I still feel pretty darn good. That's right. Um, Abram was 75 years old already. And when we went to Iraq to film his story, we went to Ur, U-R, the letter yeah, U, uh, the letter R, of the Chaldees. Nazar, it's, uh, in, in, uh, I'll think of this big city it's by in just a second. And we went there, and, this, and Saddam Hussein had rebuilt and restructured part of that ziggurat, the big pyramid there yes. in his land. Now, because the land is flat, in order to build high places to worship God, they had to build something on the to to that goes up because they couldn't get high. There was no mountains, and there were no rocks. It's just flat. It's unbelievable. Wow. So they had brick makers, and even when we went there in the movie, it was easy. Everywhere we went in this, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of this place. Don't kind of driving me crazy. Anyway, I'll find it. And they, they were building bricks. And even when we were there, they were building bricks and putting all the stuff, sifting the sand, mixing it with water, making the bricks. So that pyramid, which is called a ziggurat, is still there to this day, 4,000 years later. One of the reasons I like making this documentary series, Charbel, is because I want people to see that the Bible did not begin with once upon a time, in a land far away, there was a man named Abram, like a fairy tale. This That's is right. not a fairy tale. This is real. And when you go look at the these places exist, that place is still there today. You can go up the step. It's hard to get to Iraq today. I mean, it was really hard for us to get there. And we had to get all the way up to the, I went all the way up to the top of this thing. And you can look out over the whole land of Iraq and say, I can see why they'd come up here. It would have been quiet. And they have a sense of being up by the divine up into the heavens. Well, anyway, he was there. He would have, him and his family would have brought sacrifices to that ziggurat. Now, over to the side, there are tombs, big tombs that the archaeologists from Britain discovered. And there was living sacrifices during his time. That, that's important when we get to the point where in Genesis 22, where he says, take your son, your only son, whom you love and yes. offer the sacrifice. So there were, you. we went in the video, you can, I take you in there, there show you the um, tombs where when the king died, Sulgi was the guy who was the king during Abram's time, King Sulgi. Well, when these guys would die, they would bury them, but they would bury all of their retinue of men and women and all their servants and even their horses and animals. So there was one tomb that had 170 some people buried. They were laid out in like very structured order all the way around the king. So there was a human sacrifice back then. And somewhere along the way, when God was looking for a man to start a covenant with, he was looking for someone who had the heart for this, someone that he could work with for a long period of time he found this man, Abram, with his wife, Sarai. Abram, 75. His wife is 65. And I'm going to just read to you a little bit of a poem 
this is yes. in a book. It's not a well-known book, but it's called Swift Lord, You Are Not by a priest called Killian McDonald. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to uh, see here if I can read it quickly out of my website here where I have it. If not, I'll just read this to you. But it says, anyway, it goes like this. Talk about imperious without even a may I presume. No previous contact with you, God. No letter of introduction. This unknown God issues edicts to me. There's no conversation. Am I a nobody to receive decrees from one whose name I do not even know? I have worshipped my own God, Nana. I just showed him to you. Yes. To you, I have addressed no prayers. I never prayed to you. But quick, like a sudden fire in a desert, I hear you say, go. At 75 years old, am I supposed to scuttle my life? Take that ancient wasteland of a wife named Sarah Place my arthritic bones upon the road to some mumbled nowhere. Let me get this straight. I will be brief. I summarize. In 10 generations since the flood, you have spoken to no one. This is meaning that since, since Noah's time, God has been silent. He's just now looking for this guy, Abram. In 10 generations since the flood, you have spoken to no one. Now, like thunder on a clear day, you give commands. You tell me to pull up my tent. Desert the graves of my ancestors. Leave the leave Ur for a country I do not name. There to be a stranger, God of the wilderness, from God of the wilderness, from two desiccated lumps, us two powdered old people. We're almost dead. He's saying, like two parched prunes. You promise all peoples of the earth will be blessed from me. You come lately, Lord. You come very late but my camels will leave in the morning. There you go. Yep. That gives me <laughs> shivers every time I read that. All of the arguments against God, all the way I shouldn't do it, but my camels will leave in the morning. If I asked on. you, Charbel, if you and I happened to, God happened to come to us tomorrow and say, hey, I'm going to send you to a new planet. <laughs> and I'm going to give that planet to you. And you're going to be wealthy and have all these kids. I would say to him, well, how am I going to get there? What kind of rocket ship have you made to get me? Am I going to own it? Do I have a contract? What kind of, do I have a deed to the land? What about my pension? Am I going to have health insurance? Abram didn't ask any of that. He just said, my camels will leave in the morning. And I just love that poem because we call Abraham, Paul, St. Paul calls Abraham the father of all of those who believe by faith. He's the father of us all. Why? Because that's what he did. And I don't think any of us would have done it quite as obediently as Abraham did. I'm thinking of, uh, of, of the fiat Mary gave to the angel as well, as you're speaking, yeah. that, you know, th these big, big requests and they just say, yep, let it be done unto me. I'll just do it. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> wow. What faith. Exactly right. He was so from that are, area, right? Um, Abraham was, Ur is like where the Tower of Babel was. That whole, that whole, um, you know, pagan uh, religion, as you're talking about, this is he's a, one of them. It's a cradle of civilization. Yes. When the, in the movie, we start out by, we read that Genesis is at the convergence of the Tigris and Euphrates and other two other rivers. And we went and found where the, we were at the Tigris wow. and Euphrates River. And there's an ancient oak tree now. 
And the local people there say that Abraham planted that tree in honor of Father Adam in the Garden of Eden. So we know the Garden of Eden was where uh, Euphrates and Tigris are, and they claim that's the place where it is. So that is really the beginnings of humanity at that Mm. place. And from there, Abraham then, if you can imagine, um, he went up from, it's it's near the... uh, the base of, of um, Iraq, he went all the way up the Euphrates River, which is what we did too. We came across and it goes up into Turkey of today. And it's called the Fertile Crescent because you can't just travel. There's deserts, but if you stay by the river, so you have water. And okay. he would then travel 1600 miles all the way up into Turkey of today, stopped for a little while in Haran where his family stayed But then he, when his father died, he continued then down south into Canaan, which is called Israel. And then it was called Judea. And then it was called Palestine. And today it's called Israel again. So it's it's like a 1600 mile trek that he went and he didn't have a plane. He didn't have a a Mercedes bus like you and I are going to travel on when we go to Israel (laughs) in our pilgrimage together next March. He was going with camels and donkeys and herds and flocks and Sarah. It would have taken, who knows how long it would have taken. You could travel. The basic understanding today is that when they traveled, Jesus and Mary and and Joseph to Bethlehem and all these, you traveled about 20 miles a day by foot because you also had animals and 20 miles a day is a pretty good trek for a day because you start early in the morning and you had to travel always with water in mind. So you travel from the well to the spring, to the river, you know, camp there, but they just followed the Euphrates river, which went all the way up into Turkey. And then they came back down into Canaan. I don't know how long it would have taken him, but if you divide 1600 miles by 20, that's a long trip. That's right. (laughs) And he had 318 men who worked for him that came with him. He would have brought to who were employees who took care of all of his camels and his sheep and his goats and his cattle and all this. So now he arrives in Canaan and it's a whole new land. And I'm sure he's looking around and said, okay, when God said, go, Abraham says, where to? God said, just go. I'll tell you to stop when you get there. When you get there, I'll tell you to stop and you'll know you're there. But, you know, okay. <laughs> I like to be decisive. Can you imagine? Okay, Charbel, I'm going to take you and all the Aussies to the Holy Land tomorrow. Uh, just get on a plane and start flying. And I'll announce over the intercom, okay, time to land the plane now. You're there. You'd have no idea where you're going. Crazy. Just God says, stop, stop, and you're there. This is what this is the faith of Abraham. Yes. We haven't even scratched the surface of how amazing this guy is. Wow, wow. Well, um, now, so he gets, he gets, he makes that the trek. Um, and, and we, we think about this, uh, Abraham and his wife, Sarai. Now we talk about his wife there. Um, uh, she's barren. Uh, why is it significant that she's barren, by the way? What, what what's, um, it what's was because God was using this to show his power. Mm, yeah. God yeah. was doing this to show how, if Abraham already had 20 kids, it wouldn't have been so special, but he wants a son of promise. The son of promise is going to be the one who carries the line forward today. It's not so important. You have a son. I mean, a lot Mm. of people have no kids. It's not a big deal. Back in those days to have a son was the most important, most crucial thing that a mother and a father could have. 
first of all, even in Jesus's case, Mary, if she doesn't have a father or a husband or a son, she's going to be destitute. Women did not have social security and the, the social network to catch them with welfare and all these things. That was done by your father, your husband, or your son. That's why a son was so important. Because usually a father would die, a husband would die in battle or out on the fields working something. The husband, and even today, husbands tend to die first. But the son was so important to have sons because the son would then take you into his home and take care of you. Mary had no other sons which is why Jesus on the cross gave her to John because John was then going to take care of the welfare of Mary mm. and make sure she had a home and food and everything she needed. If she didn't, she would have been destitute without her own son. So this is the way the families were. And we in the West, in the Western world, Canada, United States, Australia, Europe, we have no idea what the importance of a son meant back then. That was ultimately more important than anything else because he would carry your family name to the next generation and he would carry the land that you own and your inheritance on. And the, having that was the most important thing. I just was visiting my son last weekend. I have three daughters and a son. My son's name is Jesse Ray. And he has eight kids. Six of them are boys with the last name of Ray. And they said, Grandpa, we're carrying on your name. We're going to be Catholics. We're going to fight the world. We're going to fight the atheists. We're going to take your name through the next generations. My grand boys told me that this weekend. So Abram wanted a son. That was the most important thing for him. And yet he had no son. He arrives in Canaan. Says yes. he what did he find there? Yeah. And he says that he arrives and at the what he does is at a first place he comes to, it's called Bethel, which means the house of God. Bet house El. El is named God. And he calls upon the name of the Lord. Now, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So we, if, we'll take a few minutes somewhere along the line to show the whole argument of Protestants that you're saved by faith alone. Abraham puts the lie to that. Let's do it real quick, just real yes, quick. Please. The idea that I came from as a Baptist is you're saved by faith alone. No works, nothing. And it's one point in time. And I would have said, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When you believe on Jesus Christ, you are saved. At that point, you're once saved, always saved. Eternal security, no matter if you sin, whatever you have, eternal life. And it's one point in time. Well, the Protestants used to love to say that in Genesis 15, 6, we haven't got there yet in our story, but we'll jump ahead a little bit. It says that God made Abraham a promise, and it said Abraham believed God, and God accounted it to him as righteousness. It's an accounting term, like an accountant says, okay, Charbel, we're going to put $10,000 into your account. It's now been accounted to you. So, wow, you just got $10,000 that quick. So, it's like God says, Abraham, you believe me, so you are now, I'm giving it to you as righteous. And that's when Abraham was saved, at that moment. But we have a problem, because when Abraham was called by God in Ur of the Chaldees in Iraq, the book of Hebrews says that Abraham believed God, and he had faith in God. So was that believing faith? Was that saving faith or some kind of other faith that Abraham had? It says right. that Abraham had faith in God, and he went. He gets there. And it says he calls upon the name of the Lord, Romans 10, 9, and 10, quoting from Genesis, 
says that anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So was Abraham saved when he had faith and he left Ur of the Chaldees? Or was he saved when he arrived and called upon the name of the Lord? Well, then we get to Genesis 15, 6, a little while later, God says to makes a promise. And Abraham says he believed God. He says, go out and count the stars of the heavens and I'm going to make your sons... I'm 75 years old. I don't even have a kid. What do you mean? Look at count the stars, count the sand of the sea. That's how many of your children will be. Abraham could have said, you know what? You're a crazy God. I, I, I like this guy better. You know, yeah. he doesn't <laughs> lie to me. He doesn't make false promises. I, but it says Abraham, even though I'm 75 years old, we're beyond childbearing years. So I'm going to believe you anyway. I'm going to trust you, God says that God then said to him, I'm accounting it to you as righteousness. Well, maybe Abraham was saved then in Genesis 15. Well, then Abraham has to go to Egypt because there's a famine. I just get to this land God's going to tell me I'm going to have. And then there's a famine. So he says, well, you got to go 250 miles down to the enemy, Egypt. Yeah, yeah. I said, you know what? I just about had enough of you. I left my homeland and everything else because I believed you, but you're not giving me what I said. Now you're sending me down to Egypt. I'm going back home where we were. They were very wealthy. Iraq was at the time was very opulent, very wealthy, mm. high civilization. I'm going back there. He didn't. He came back. And then he, God comes to him when he's a hunt, 25 years. He's been wandering in the wilderness, living in tents, following the sheep and the goats. When you come with me to Israel, when we go down to the Judean wilderness, we're going to see all these Bedouin camps along the way. Oh, yes. They're still living with their sheep and their goats. I'm going to say, Charbel, there's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Oh, right. Look, at there they are right there. They are out there with their flocks and their herds. They don't take showers. They don't go to school. They smell really bad. They have flies buzzing around. They have their animals. This is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then God's finally, after 25 years, he still does not have a son. He still does not own an inch of the land. And God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you now, Abraham. And Abram, still his name's Abram. And he's got, and he says, finally, you're going to give me something worthwhile. I'm going to finally get something to show my guys, you know, 318, that we finally, we made a good decision here. And he says, okay, what's this covenant? God says, well, it's going to be, I'm going to give you a son. And I'm going to give you the land. Yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah. I'm going to give it to you next year. Okay, all right, I believe you. And I'm going to give you a sign of the covenant. Good. What's the sign of the covenant? And God hands him a flint knife. And he says, cut it off. Yes, we know what we're talking about here. <laughs> a circumcision. That's right. When I give this talk to young people, they when I say God says cut it off, they say the whole thing. And I said, no, no, no. Go home and ask your parents what this. No. <laughs> the, the circumcise. And Abraham, now my son was not circumcised when he was a baby because we had three pediatricians say it's better not to circumcise. So we didn't. But by the time my son was four years old, he kept getting really serious infections. And we finally mm. had to take him in and get him circumcised. I never felt so sorry for anybody in my life. He was swollen up like a size of an orange. Wow. And for a week, it was terrible. And I'm thinking Abraham is 99 years old and he's got 318 men. It's not just Abraham that's got to get circumcised. All his guys got to get yeah. circumcised. That's right. So I can imagine Abraham the next morning. He says, guys, everybody come on, get together before you go out with the herds and flocks. I've got some news for you. God is finally giving us a covenant. 
do you want the good news first or the bad news first? <laughs> God's given us the covenant, but the sign of the covenant is, and he pulls out a flint knife and he says, we have to all be circumcised. Now, Charbel, come on. You're going to bring this old guy into a new land. At least give him a sign of the covenant. That's not going to be so painful. That's and right. Horrible. If yeah. I was Abraham, I would be very inclined at that moment in time to look out over my 13, 318 guys. I can't tell them that. I can't tell Sarah what I've just heard. I'm going back to Ur of the Chaldees. I've had it. This is crazy. Abraham didn't. It says the next morning, the flint knives flashed and all of his men were circumcised, including Abraham at 99 years old. Now the next year, he finally has a son. This is why we call him the father of faith. He's not called that for no reason. That's right. Can no, I, um, that, there's a, there's a big uh, event that's just, there's a reason for the circumcision and, and he actually had um, being in Egypt and he also had a, this slave um, Hagar, this, this maid, maid servant. Um, they, his wife and he wanted to take matters in his own hands and they, they just, just years earlier. Can you tell us, what was what what happened there? What why did he um obviously he was promised lots of children and they just were not they were thinking, okay, we've got to let's have these children. God's not gonna provide it, so let's just do whatever it takes. And Sarah actually asked that him was to Sarah. That was not Abraham, but Sarah yeah. let his wife Sarah uh, Abraham let her talk him into it. And what happened was in that land, in that whole area of the world, there was a law, kind kind of common law among all of them, that if a woman could not have a child. She could have one of her slaves, and they did have slaves back then, and servants. One of them would sleep with the husband, get pregnant, and when the baby was born, the baby would be born on the legs or the lap of the wife, and then she would be the mother. It, she would adopt that baby, and it would be legally her child. It would be as though she gave birth to that child. So Sarah got impatient. She's thinking, I'm 80 nine years old. What are the chances of me having a baby? I know you think God is amazing, Abram, but I'm not anywhere near confident. I'm, I look at myself, my periods have stopped. I mean, I'm, I'm old. I'm not going to have a baby, Abraham. You listen to me right now. I need a son because you're going to die before I do. She, it didn't happen that way, but that's what she's thinking. You go sleep with Hagar, my servant. And when that baby's born, it'll be born on my knees and it will be my son. That will be God's son for us. And Abraham capitulated. He did that. The baby that was born was named Ishmael. And Ishmael yes. is the father of the Arabs. I didn't say he's the father of the Muslims. Notice that very carefully. Yes. He's not the father of the Muslims, which the Muslims like to say. Yes. Hagar gave birth to Ishmael. He is the father of the Arabs because when he was sent away so that it wouldn't he wouldn't be a challenge to the real son that God gave Isaac. He was sent away and went to the land of Arabia, to the, to the Arab lands of Arabia. And so when Islam took over, that's where Muhammad was. It started in Arabia, but it was not that Ishmael gave birth to the Muslims. He gave birth to the Arabs. For the first 600 years, all of the Arabs were Christians. Mm -hmm. All of them in that whole area had been converted to Christianity, all through the Middle East, the Arabs were Christians, not Muslims. 
And it was then Muhammad that went with the sword and he forced conversions and made most of the Muslims, most of the Arabs then became Muslims, but it was not because they were the sons of Ishmael. They, the sons of Ishmael were not Muslims. Not, that, let's face it, that was 2000 years before the time of Christ. They were Arabs all that time. And then Islam, Islam did not get started till 600 AD. That whole, from the time of Christ till 600, the Arabs had all been converted to Christianity. And even to this day, many of the Arabs are Christians. In Israel, almost all the Christians are Arabs, Palestinians. My best friends are Christian Arabs. Anyway, I hope that's straightened out. Yeah, no, if you want to learn about Islam, go to YouTube and type in Steve Ray Islam. Yeah, and great I talk. To talk about it. It's been over a million views already. So anyway, yeah, excellent. So Ishmael brings about the Arabs. He goes away when Abraham is probably, I think, about 115 years old. In Genesis chapter 18, we see the birth of Abraham of Isaac finally promised. They've been there for over. They've been there for a long time in the land. Now, interestingly enough, I like to say this riddle. When is the only time in the Bible that we see the Trinity walk on the earth with all six feet? People say, wait a minute, what, what do you mean six feet? Is he a caterpillar? No, I mean, when did all three members of the Trinity walk on the face of the earth together? Well, Genesis 18, Interesting. three visitors travelers come up to Abraham's tent and he's sitting inside because it's hot that day. And it says that three visitors came and he jumped up and approached them and said, will you stay with me, my Lord? The fathers of the church say, especially in, in, I have it all in the study guide here with Abraham and it's in my book on Genesis. I really went into detail on, it. but they say, yeah, here we see the mystery of the Trinity. Three persons addressed as one. Will you stay with me, my Lord? And yet there's three. And the whole interesting dialogue when you look at it is the, the fathers of the church saw there the mysteries of the Trinity, and I agree with them. And eventually those three eat with Abraham. Actually, Abraham serves them when you were the, in those days, you didn't eat with them. You served the guests and then you ate later. It says that they then went to go to Sodom to talk about the great sin of the homosexuality. You know, I know in the movie, I'm not, I'm not soft, and I do wave a rainbow flag. We have that and say that these things are are sins against God. And today, you're in big trouble if you even mention that. People are afraid they're going to get killed or their houses burned down in the United States if you do that. But I'm not afraid of that. Homosexuality is a sin against God, just like. Um, any other sin. I mean, it's not different than any other sin. It's not more horrendous than fornication and uh, sex out of marriage and all these other kinds of sins, gluttony. You know, there's all these sins, but this is one of them. And God had heard about how bad it was in Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's going to go down and see it. But it says that two of them went down only. Not all three of them. Two of them went down. And when they finally called down fire on Sodom and Gomorrah, it says Yahweh from the earth called down fire from Yahweh in heaven. So the fathers of the church see also there that Jesus and the Holy Spirit in in person, personal form continued on the journey down, but the father went back up to heaven 
And when they called down fire, the two servants there, they called the fire down from God, from the Father in heaven. But anyway, that's very interesting. And I go into great detail of that in my commentary on Genesis. When the Absolutely. Jehovah's Witnesses knock on your door next time, it's a good, it's an interesting thing to bring up. They won't quite know how to handle that with the Trinity. Okay, anyway. So Isaac is now born a year later. It says that Sarah was in the tent listening. She was eavesdropping on the conversation between the three servants and Abraham. And she, when she hears it, and they said to Abraham, and your wife, Sarah, will have a baby next year. She went, <laughs> really? <laughs> and they said, <laughs> she laughed. And they, she said, I didn't laugh. And they said, oh, yes, you did. We heard you laugh. And he said, but you will have a son next year. And when the baby's born, Isaac means laughter. She named her baby laughter. Abraham and Isaac did. Now his name is Abraham, which means father of nations. At the moment of the, of the covenant that he made with Abram, it's now his name has changed from Abram to Abraham. Her name has changed from Sarai to Sarah. It means princess. His name was from father to now father of nations or exalted father. So now Paul tells us that all of the nations shall be blessed from him. That's what also what God said. All the nations will be blessed. How? Because are you a Jew? Are you a Hebrew? You're not. You're Lebanese. I am. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm English. Lebanese, Colombian. <laughs> I'm 99%. European. My wife is 99% European, but I did find out, Charbel, that I am 0.6% Jewish. And so is my wife. I yeah. couldn't be happier. I found out I have real blood of Abraham. It's less than 1%, but it's there. Yeah. I have less than 1%, but I do have the blood of Abraham in my veins. I was very excited about that, by the way. Yes, uh, brilliant. Continuing this journey, uh, he, so Abraham's had uh, the three promises. He's now been told the three these three covenants as well there's there's a there's one the sign of the covenant we discussed now um where are we now we're, we're now closing in into the genesis uh 20 in the 20s now 20, this is gen we're now at genesis 22 which is 22. the the pinnacle of yep. the whole life of abraham and the whole book of genesis everything up until now you're climbing a mountain God is preparing Abraham. He's putting him through trials. He's testing Abraham. Are you really worthy of this? Are you really ready for what I'm going to build upon you? Are you the right guy? He's building this all the way up. Genesis chapter 22 is the top of the peak of the whole book of Genesis and the life of Abraham. After Genesis 22, it's all downhill. I mean, not in a bad way, but it's all now the, 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 the climax have been reached in a sense. What happens in Genesis 22, and this takes up about 50 pages in my book on Genesis, because this is such a crucial chapter. The typology here is stunning. Typology wow. means things in the Old Testament where they became real in the New Testament, in a sense. It's absolutely stunning in Genesis 22 and the whole story of Abraham's life. And it says that God tested Abraham. I think he's already tested Abraham. I just I said, God, you already tested me enough. What are you, what do you mean you're going to test me again? But this was the last test. After this, Abraham was never tested again. At the end of this, God says, now I know that you fear me. Oh, really? You didn't know it up until now. I haven't proved it over the last 
30 years, whatever. So God's chapter 22 begins with Abraham, Abraham, take your son, your only son whom you love and offer him as a living sacrifice on Mount Moriah. How do you take that? Um, he's been waiting for this son of promise all this time. Abraham is probably now 115 years old. He's lived a long life. And his son Isaac is probably 15 years old. The reason I say that is because he's very able to carry the wood. He's able to argue and discuss with his father. He's not a baby. Mm. He is a young man now. And he's able to walk for three days. So this isn't a five-year-old. So my guess is that he's about 15 years old. When I say, take your son, your only son whom you love, and offer him as a sacrifice, what verse in the New Testament does that bring to mind? For yeah, God so loved his Son, right. gave only because that, 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 and it's supposed to. That is what it is supposed to bring to your mind. John, God is asking Abraham to offer his only begotten son whom he loved. Interesting fact point. That's the first time the word love is used in the Bible. Wow, didn't realize that. Yeah. The first time the word love is used in the Bible is of a father who loves his only begotten son. The Holy Spirit waited to this point to use the word love in the Bible. The second time the word love is used in the Bible is when Isaac sees his wife's Rebecca coming and it says he loved her. Mm. That We'll get to that in a moment. The first and second time the word love is used. It's all a picture of the Trinity. Abraham, I'm, I'm just going to tell the part, uh, this, there's, this is so dense. This is so profound. It's even hard to know where to begin. In my book, I just keep starting it over again because it was so much. Okay, he has to go three days. Why three days? Because he lives in Beersheba, which is over 50 miles from Beersheba, southern Israel today in the Degev Desert, up to Mount, uh, Mount Moriah. Well, why does he have to take him to Mount Moriah? Where's Mount Moriah? Does the Bible tell us where Mount Moriah is? The book of First and Second Chronicles, it tells us that Solomon built his temple on Mount Moriah okay. in Jerusalem. So where's Mount Moriah? It's the top of Jerusalem. Why does Abraham have to take his son there to offer him as a sacrifice? Because 2,000 years later, another father with his only begotten son is going to offer him at the same place as a sacrifice. He could have offered his son anywhere, but God wanted him to take him to Moriah so that we wow. would see in prefiguration form, a father offering his only begotten son as a sacrifice as a picture and an image of what's going to happen 2,000 years later with another father with his son named Jesus. Is that Calvary? Is Calvary, in fact, near there, right there? Well, when you when you look Calvary, Israel is, I mean, Jerusalem is 3,000 feet above sea level. Yes. And there are kind of seven points there. But when you go there to Mount Moriah, which is where the Temple of Solomon was built and where the Dome of the Rock, the Muslim Dome of the Rock is, yes. you can throw a stone to wow. the place where Jesus was crucified. So it's you know, all I mean, there on that mountain. It's right yeah. there. It's right there. You know. Wow. And so he tells them to take him there because he is going to have theater. God loves theater and drama. He's going to have a play theater set up for you 
2,000 years beforehand. So when his son is offered, you can look back and say, oh, my goodness. So Abraham goes with his son. First of all, I want to say that Abraham, people say, well, why? what kind of God would tell Abraham to offer his son as a sacrifice? That's a sadistic, cruel, That's, wicked kind of God. Why would he do that? Family members ask the same question. Yeah. yeah but, but we have to realize that Abraham was coming from a land of human sacrifice. Remember, yes. we talked earlier, none of the God of the moon, there were sacrifices. And I think what God is saying to Abram is you left, you would have offered human sacrifices there. That would, you were from the land of human sacrifices. Would you, will you do the same thing for me as you would have done for Nana, the God of the moon? Are you prepared to do for me what you would have done for your gods there? And Abram said, yes, I have switched my allegiance. I'm now following you. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do even more than I would have done for Nana, the God of the moon in Iraq. Another two things. Abraham knew that he did not would not have to offer his son, and God knew it too. It was kind of a charade. I don't mean that it wasn't real, but Abraham knew he wasn't going to have to offer his son. First of all, when he's going there, he says to his two servants, he leaves them with the donkey, and they're going up to Mount Moriah. He says, the lad and I will go up and worship, and we will return to you. He knew that him and Isaac would both return to them. Isaac's carrying the wood of the sacrifice. They, he had to carry a bundle of branches because they had to make a fire up there. And they had a pot full of coals to start the fire. They didn't have matches. You know, they couldn't just start a match or a lighter. They got to smoke a cigarette. They didn't have lighters back then. They had to bring a pot of coals. Isaac says to his father, we have the fire and we have the wood, but where is the lamb for the sacrifice? His father said, the Lord will provide the lamb, my son. Yes. And the book of Hebrews chapter 11, which is the faith chapter, says that Abraham knew that even if he did kill his son, God would raise him from the dead. So Abraham knew that he didn't have to kill his son. So the whole thing of why would God tell you to kill your son is really kind of a moot point because both God and Abraham knew they weren't going to have to. But God was testing Abraham and Abraham was going up to fulfill the test. He didn't know how God was going to do it, but yeah. God promised me a son and I'm too old to have another one. And God is not going to let me down. This boy is coming back home with me. I don't he know went right he, up to that point, didn't he? He did, he did, he did push him. He did. He went all the way right to raising that arm. Life is coming down. That's right. <laughs> so that taking care of that issue of human sacrifice, I think God also wanted to give a human example because if it was only God giving his son, we wouldn't understand what he felt, the pain the father felt. So mm -hmm. he's giving us a human story so that we can understand it from a human perspective, so that when God gives his son, we can understand it more deeply and have a more of an understanding of what it cost God to do that. Now, let's do a little of the typology. Yes, please. Abraham brings his son to Mount Moriah. He's going, to, uh, he's going up the mountain with the son, and his son is carrying the wood of the sacrifice on his back. When God the Father sent his son up that mountain, he walked with his son up that mountain too. Don't ever think he didn't. What was his son Jesus carrying on his back? Also but, the wood yeah. of the sacrifice. The cross. Wow, look at that. 
when he gets up there and the knife is coming down and God stops him, it says the angel of the Lord. When it says angel of the Lord, it's, it's means God. It's, okay. it's a, theo, a theophany. God is revealing himself as a messenger, as the angel. So it's another whole topic, but it says that he found a ram with his head stuck in a thorn bush over there. When Jesus, the real lamb of God was up there, what was his head stuck in? Also a thorn bush, a crown of thorns. Is and it evidence is, I heard? Is it the same type of thorn bush? The, the same? I don't know that. I no. don't know if that's the case okay. because I don't think we know what kind of thorn bush it was. Yeah. But the, yeah. the thorn bush from Jerusalem, I'm sure that it was yeah. probably very similar. Um, so you you have the, the 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 son carrying the wood of the sacrifice on his back. The ram is with his head stuck in a thicket. I mean, all of, and when. Jesus on the cross is not only paying for our sins, he's also redeeming the earth. Romans at chapter 8 says that the earth is under a curse. When Adam and Eve sinned, the earth was cursed because of them. And what was the sign of the curse of the earth? That the earth would produce thorns and thistles for Adam. Uh-huh. Yes. What's yes. Jesus carrying? He's carrying the sign of the curse of the earth. So when he's going to the cross to die, he's not just wow. carrying our sins and removing our curse. He's also bearing the sin, the curse of the world. He's re- releasing nature from its curse as well. And then at the end, it says that with the sons of God, nature will be released also and have its own redemption, which Jesus paid for on the cross by the sign of the thorns on his head. Now, it says that the angel stopped him and Isaac was now alive, and the book of Hebrews said it was like a resurrection. Abraham was like raised from the dead because he was as good as dead. He had to die, but he's not now. He's going back home. So his father takes him back home, and when he gets home, it says that he realizes Isaac needs a bride. So he sends his unnamed servant. We don't know what his name is. With ten camels full of gifts, gold and silver and clothing, (laughs) ten camels back to the homeland to find a wife from his own people. Not going to marry a pagan girl with these foreign gods. We're going to go back to my family. He goes back up to Haran, which is in Turkey. And I've been, that's in the movie. We were in Haran, Turkey. And very, very hot. Whew, was it hot there? It was 120 <laughs> degrees when we were there. And he finds Rebecca. Now, Rebecca, the servant says, whoever, if there's a girl, here, I'm going to give you a, Test God, whatever girl comes and said, I'll give you water and I'll water your camels. That will be the one. Well, that is very audacious. Do you know how much a camel can drink? A camel can drink 25 gallons in 10 minutes. (laughs) The servant goes there with 10 camels and they're all coming out of the desert thirsty. 10 camels are going to drink a minimum of 250 gallons of water. And you have to go down to the spring to get it, put it in a water jug on your head, bring it back and pour it into the trough. If I would find a woman like that for my son, I'm going to say, marry that girl, boy, marry that girl right now. Well, Rebecca's the one who does it. And he then tells Rebecca that he has come from Abram down in Canaan. And he has 10 camels full of gifts for her to become the bride. She agrees and assents to go. She goes down and it says that Isaac was out in his field meditating, sees her, falls in love with her, marries her, and takes her into his tent. Very romantic. 
every woman loves that story when you read it and think about it. Okay, now let's go backwards. God the Father brings his son up to the mountain. He offers him as a sacrifice, like Isaac. But Jesus mm -hmm. is risen from the dead, like Isaac was, figuratively. God the Father takes him back home to heaven. But he needs a son, a bride for his wife. I mean, he needs a bride for his son. So God sends the unnamed servant. The Holy Spirit doesn't have a name. He's called the comforter, the paraclete. He's called the Holy Spirit. But all of those are descriptions. They're not names. God sends his unnamed servant back to his own people in Jerusalem to find a bride for his son. He sends 10 camels full of gifts, tongues, prophecy, healing, uh, administrations. Paul goes through all these different spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit gives these gifts to whomever he wills, just like Abraham's servant gave those gifts to the bride. We're the bride. We have these gifts coming. Wow. And we then say, yes, we assent to the Holy Spirit, we believe, and he's going to take us up to heaven, back to his own, up to uh, his son, and there's going to, he's going to see us coming, he's going to fall in love with us and marry us and take us into his tent, which is heaven. All of this is prefigured in the Bible in the story of Abraham and Isaac, and that's what we should see when we see the Old Testament, we should see a fulfillment in Christ. So this is a beautiful yes. story, a beautiful parallel. Beautiful. Well, anyway, Abram has now had his test, and God never tests him again. He ends that whole episode by saying, now I know that you fear me. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I've been fearing you from the beginning. Did you really have to go that far, God? Did you really have to put me through that? But that's what God did, and Abraham went through that excruciating trial and he passed. And from then on, Abraham was never tested again. Sarah dies eventually and she's buried. Abraham still doesn't own any of the land, but he buys a field in Hebron. And I, you know, in the movie, we go to Hebron. I've been to Hebron many times. And there's a place there called uh, where, where, I earlier said the three servants came to see Abraham and his tent and that was where the Trinity came down. Well, also in Hebron, Abram bought a cave so that he could bury Sarah. And that was the only land he ever owned until he died himself. He didn't all that beautiful land of Israel. He never owned it. He only owned this little piece of field with a cave in it so that he could bury and he paid for it. God didn't give it to him. So he died without ever seeing the promise of the land, although he did have a son. And God said, I will give the land to your offspring. They're going to go. And actually, God gave him a vision, a very dark vision. Your people are going to go into bondage for 400 years. Wow. And during that time, they will increase in number so that there's enough of them to come back and conquer the land. You can't conquer the land now with just your few people. You can't even conquer them with... When, when Jacob, his grandson, went down into Egypt, there were only 72. You can't take over the whole land of Canaan. I mean, what are you going to, you don't have, if you'd have had tanks and aircraft, you could have, but I mean, they just had stones and clubs and swords. I mean, 
They had to go to Egypt so that over 400 years, they could grow to be such a massive number of people that they could come back and then they would have an army to take over the land. Also, the people of the land of Canaan were sinners, but they had not become ripe. Their sin had not ripened to the point where God could justify wiping them out, but they did infant sacrifices, the sexual orgies, an unbelievable way that they lived. It's which if you read the books of uh, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, you'll see it describes how they lived. Yeah, so people said, think uh, the good old days. Well, back then they weren't they weren't much better than we were now. We are now. So this is in, this is interesting. Actually, I see we're coming all the way back around to the paganism yes. of the past yes. again. And if we don't do something about it, we're going to be judged again too. So, um, so then uh, Abraham has that vision, and so I know that that terrified him. and said it was very dark and it bothered him. But Sarah dies, and Abram buys that cave, and it's called the Machpelah, and he buried her there. When he died, he got put in the Machpelah. And when his son Isaac died, him and his wife Rebecca were also buried there in the cave of the Machpelah. And Jacob and his wife Leah were also buried there. So you have the three patriarchs and the three matriarchs that are buried there. And that today, the Machpelah, and I go in there in the movie, we go into the, there's a Muslim side, which is a uh, mosque and the other side of it is Jewish, which is a synagogue. And boy, I'll tell you, you never sense the tension in in, in the Middle East like you do when you go there, because oh, these right. are the two. And and Israel's taking charge of this thing, and the Muslims just hate it that Israel's in charge, and the security is so tight. And we got in there on both sides with our video cameras to see this, the tombs of a, of the patriarchs on the Israel side, of the Jewish side, and on the Muslim side. And we even got them to remove the top off of a tunnel going down, and they lowered candles down into the very cave down below where the bones of the patriarchs are. Wow. So Isaac now, Abraham dies eventually, and he's buried there as well. Then Isaac, he he's not very memorable. Isaac hmm. doesn't do anything heroic. He's not like his father Abraham. And even God says to Abraham, uh, to Isaac, I am doing these things for you, carrying the covenant on with you because of the works of your father, Abraham. In other words, no snub to you, Isaac, but you're not impressive. I'm doing it for your father. You're the link in the chain. You know, here's, here's Isaac and Abraham, and you're the link. And from you now, is gonna, and Jacob now is his son, is an impressive guy. Abraham's grandson, Jacob, is yes. a very impressive guy, although not always for good. They're, even the word Jacob means supplanter, crook, deceiver. Oh, okay. And uh, his whole life was, uh, how long do we have left? Because I. Yeah, we can probably go for another uh, five to ten minutes. We can uh, okay. we can keep. Yeah, so this will come we'll towards the end of Jacob Genesis. Real quick. Jacob it really takes seriously this. Uh, the rights of the firstborn. He wants to be the firstborn son who has all the, the familial rights and obligations of the family. He cheats and tricks his father. His father's old and blind, and he puts his his brother Isaac, and uh, his brother is Esau. They were twins, and Esau came out first, and he's all red and hairy, and Jacob has him by the ankles, and he's trying to pull his brother back in and get out first from his mother's womb. And even 
Rebecca is so, these boys are fighting inside her womb. She said, oh, why do I even live? She says, these, this is so, they're kicking and fighting. And why do I even live? And when they get out, they're no different. They're still clashing. And Jacob is always the conniver. He's called Jacob, which means crook, supplanter. And he then, in, in the long run, he tricks his brother. His brother comes in hungry. He says that the Esau, the older, the hairy guy, he's out. He loves the, the fields hunting and bringing in red meat, which is Father Isaac like. Jacob was a mama's boy. He stayed in the tents. But he tricks his brother because he makes this lentil stew. And in the movie, I'm in a Bedouin tent out in the wilderness. And, and my guide, Amr, and I, you'll meet Amr. We make some lentil stew while we're sitting there with these, these uh, Muslim um, Bedouins, you know, we're, and it's so it, it brings it right. L to lentil life. stew. It's very uh, popular, by the way, in the um, Lebanese culture still. Um, oh, it's yeah, delicious. it's a Lenten. <laughs> yeah. And, and the more lemon you squeeze into it, the better That's I right. like it. <laughs> So he, his brother Esau comes back and says, I'll give you my birthright for that stew. Jacob says, swear it. He says, I swear it. He snuck it away from him. Then he tricked his father to get the final blessing because his brother was all hairy and he was smooth. So he put goat's hair all over him and he spread the smell of that on. And he went and his mother made some stew, uh, meat for his father. And he says, I'm your son Esau. Give me the blessing. And he said, well, let me feel you. Oh, you feel hairy. You smell like wild animals. Okay. And he gives him the blessing. Esau is going to kill his brother, Jacob. Jacob flees away, goes back up to where his mother was found, Rebecca, with his own people, the family uh, up in North and Haran in Turkey today. And he works for 21 years. And his uncle Laban was more of a crook than he was, more tricky and conniving and sneaky. And Jacob gets a bit of his own medicine. God humbles that man. And he finally gets, he's got two wives. The funny thing is he's going to work seven years for his wife, Rachel. He falls in love, says there's two girls. One is named Leah. She has plain, kind of simple, plain eyes. Not, in other words, she's not very good looking. And Rachel, she had beautiful eyes and a lovely form. Jacob fell in love with her. So Jacob, so Levin says, work for me for seven years with my flocks and herds and you can have Rachel as your wife. Seven years goes by. He goes into the, the marriage bed at night. He goes into the tent on their marriage night. He wakes up in the morning. He says, you're not Rachel, you're Leah. Let Laban snuck his older, ugly daughter in with him. He didn't know it. He must have had way too much to drink at the wedding. He wakes up with Leah and he says, but that's not the, I wanted Rachel. Laban says, work for me another seven years and you'll get Rachel. So for 21 years, because he had any even longer. Well, then he heads back home with two wives and two concubines. And in the end, he has, uh, he has 12 sons, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Dan, Nephtali, Joseph, and Benjamin. There, I'm just showing oh, Well off. done. Yes. <laughs> All 12 sons. <laughs> and they are the 12 tribes of Israel. He comes back to Canaan with all this big family. And in the end, he also says, this God will be my God. And the covenant is renewed with him at Bethel, where his, great, where his grandfather was. And then they move back down to Hebron, where Abraham lived. And there's a famine. Well, first of all, Joseph is his favorite yes. son because Joseph comes. Finally. Yeah, he, he now has these 12 sons. But the other ones are from the ugly wife. 
and the, <laughs> and the two all maid servants, yeah, <laughs> and the two maid servants. Yeah. But then Rachel finally has a son named Joseph, and oh, does Jacob love him? He comes from the wife that he even says that he came from the wife that Jacob loved. So he makes him a special coat. We don't know what it really means, a coat of many colors, or it could be, that's how it's named, but it was a special coat, cloak, and a robe that was so special, and the other brothers were all jealous. And then Joseph has a dream that someday all of his brothers are going to bow down to him. Can you imagine the little brother saying to all his brothers, hey, guys, I just had a dream. Someday you're all going to bow down and worship me. wouldn't buy it. <laughs> There's no way. That's so right. They, get, they sell him to the Midianites, mm. the Ishmaelites, Midianites, both things. And they take him down into Egypt as a slave. He's put in prison. He's a slave. But he eventually rises to become the vizier or the second in command of all of Egypt. And then when there's a famine in the land of Canaan, his brothers, and that's a long story. It was so fun to write that story in my book on Genesis. I didn't do a lot about that in my movie, my movie is mostly on Abraham, but in the, but in my book, I do a lot more on it, but they end up going down to Egypt to get grain. And then Joseph reveals who he is. You are the one that sold me into slavery, but what you meant for evil, God has turned into good. We can learn that as a principle, by the way, that anything yeah. that happens, somebody plans it for evil with us. God will turn it to our good. If we have our hearts towards God, Romans eight thirty eight says all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. If you put your mind on God. If you choose to serve him and love him, no matter what, he's number one in your life. Everything you can live in joy because God's going to turn everything to your good, even if it seems like it's bad at first. So they go down into Egypt and they now are living very prosperous, but eventually they become slaves and we got to stop there or we won't have anything to talk about next time when we get to <laughs> Moses, who's down in that land with these people and he brings them out in the Exodus. But the bottom line is, is that Abraham is a man who really believed God. Salvation was not one moment at point in time in his life. It was a progression. And Catholics, yes. we understand salvation the same. It's not at one point. Yes, we're baptized at one point and we're confirmed. But our whole life is one of obedience where we have to live in obedience to God. We have to do good works based on his merit. He gives us. My, I'll close with this. My grandson, Dominic, comes to me and says, Grandpa, I want to I want to buy you a Christmas present. But I don't have any money. Can you give me $100? I give my grandson, Dominic, $100. He goes and he buys a beautiful Christmas present for me, wraps it on a Christmas morning. He gives me the present. Who bought that present? I did. I gave him the $100. Of course. No, he did. He went out and chose it and picked it for me and brought it. We both did. Dominic bought this for me. He did the good works, but based on my merits. And yes. when we have good works, That's God brilliant. requires us to do good works that are meritorious towards our salvation. All when he blesses our good works, he's only blessing his own grace that he gave us. So we are saved. My movie is called Abraham, Father of Faith and Works. Love and it. that's exactly what it is. And we could go on for another hour or two, but everybody's <laughs> falling asleep. I think. No, this is amazing. We're getting great comments. And by the way, I'll just, I'll just answer uh, Celia's um question here the name of your book that's based on genesis when it comes out what's it going to be called is it uh, genesis 
Just I Genesis. don't know what else. We don't yeah. have a title for it yet, but it's going to be called Genesis something. And expect a time of release, do you think? Next you know? year sometime. Okay. They're, they're reading through it and editing it right now. Fantastic. Well, we're praying praying that that comes out soon, and uh, I encourage everyone to get that when it comes out. Wow. I mean, we just got a little taste of, of, of this, like a Bible study, Genesis. I feel like a little kid sitting around the campfire. You can imagine back in the day when, when they were passing on these Bible stories, uh, the families would have been sitting around a fireplace uh, having their meals and, and just sharing these stories, and this is how it was passed on family to family, yeah. generation to generation. And here we are in 2020, 2020. And we're hearing these beautiful stories that, yep. that are relevant to us today. Yep. Abraham was 4,000 years ago, almost. Wow. So we're talking the same we're story. We're still telling his story. <laughs> yep. Amen. Thank well, you. He's our father of faith. And he's mentioned in the New Testament so many, I don't, I forgot how many times, but it's an unbelievable number of times. Sarah is mentioned in the more New Testament more than any other woman, I think. Wow, wow. The, just um, um, the final point here on the covenants, uh, so if we can follow the thread of the covenants, um, the three covenants that, or the covenants were fulfilled, those promises were raised to covenants. Um, what were the three? How were they fulfilled, these three covenants Abraham were, was told? God made these covenants with him. Well, and how were they? he made one, one major covenant. I'm going to give you the land and a son if you buy yep. obey me. But as we go through the Old Testament, we're going to see six covenants. We're going to see a covenant with Adam and Eve, which was with a man and a family. Yes. Then the covenant with Noah, which is with a family. Yes. Then we're going to see the covenant with Abram, which is with a tribe. Yes. And then it's going to become a covenant with uh, Moses, with a nation. Covenant with David. David, which is an empire, a kingdom. I think I missed one somewhere along the line. No, there. that's right. And then the last one is there's it's one more. Christ. Jesus. Right. Jesus. Yeah. And so the, the the covenants increase and they kind of spread wider and wider to include Beautiful. more people. And with Jesus, then the covenant includes all of all of humankind. That's right. All races, all colors, everyone. Yeah. Doesn't matter what culture you're from, it's for you, the, Jesus. The net, Jesus that, Je- the net that Peter pulled in in John 21, he pulls that net up on the shore, says it had 153 fish in it. And the net was not torn. The word tear is schizo, schism. The net at the end of time, Peter's pulling it up and bringing it to the shores of eternity and laying it at the feet of Jesus in heaven. And the net doesn't have any tears in it. It's one body, one net, the church. 153, St. Jerome, doctor of the church, said 153. That At that time, there was seen to be 153 nations, languages, and tongues. There was a fish in that net from every language, nation, and tongue. And the theory is, and my my encouragement, if you're in the net, don't jump out. Stay in the net. That's the church that's bringing you up to Jesus in eternity. Amen. Thank you. Oh, wow. Well, we're going to, um, we, we hope uh, all, all going to plan uh, next year, uh, March, we're trying to, we're going to go to the Holy Land and, uh, yeah. and, and that you'll be running, doing it. The famous Steve Ray Footprints of God style. That'll be so fun. And it's a yeah. live Bible study, literally. Uh, the, the Bible it is. Study it's going to be a live Bible study. Exactly. Hold on here. Just, it's going to be a live Bible study all the way. We're going to have mass at all the best. Sites. We're going to pray the mystery of the rosary everywhere where it happened. The first Beautiful. 19. We can't Beautiful. do that 20 because that's heaven, but we're going to pray the first, <laughs> all the mysteries of the rosary on location. Stephen Ray. All Thank right. you, and Sean. Well, it's, good take, being, it's good being with you and all the folks down in Australia and everywhere in the world. God bless you all. Thank you so much. God bless you. That okay. was Stephen Ray. All right. Take care. 
and and make sure you get your copy of the DVD. It's available now at perusiamedia.com and get that uh, discount code now. So I'm Shabal Raish. That's another Perusia podcast. Stay in touch and and, uh, and and stay safe. God bless you. Bye-bye. Take care. Thank you, Steve. God bless. Bye.